Welcome to the midweek Mission Ridge podcast known as Footnotes. Footnotes is here to give you some of the stuff that we didn't have time to cover in the sermon and encourage you to dig in deeper as you study the text. So let's dive in and check out what's in the footnotes. Welcome to another episode of Footnotes. Glad to have you with us on the podcast. Podcast. I'm starting off well here. Podcast this week, Jennifer Bartlett, Rob Coyle, and myself, Logan Daly. Hi. Hi. Hello. Oh, Aww. you just like cut me off there. I was ready for it. I know you like, were. Ah. I was like, I'm switching it up. I'm switching it up. We're not scared. doing the waiting game here. We're just going to fly right into it. See what happens. It'll be exciting. <laughs> It'll be exciting. That was very, oh, Veggie Tale esque. Oh. Just it gave me flashbacks to welcome to another episode. I mean, that's I I'd be okay with being a Veggie Tale. I could be Bob. You'd be Bob the Tomato. I could be Bob the Tomato, although I could see that Bob's probably more of a Larry the Cucumber. <laughs> let's be <laughs> you honest. Are definitely, yeah. You're definitely Larry the Cucumber. Maybe even Larry oh, Boy. Where <laughs> is my hairbrush? Oh, that's smarts. <laughs> Ouch! It's too, too early, too soon, too something, <laughs> too something. Stop giving it to the peach. I still have a beard. <laughs> you have a beard brush for that. I do, literally, three I, feet from me. I see it from it's, here. It's a good one. Uh, anyway, so we've got things to talk about. <clears throat> we are recording this. Uh, this is this is one of those special episodes where we are not recording footnotes after the sermon uh so when you listen to this i will have preached on sunday but we are recording this before i have preached on sunday because we like having chronology difficulties which is a foreshadowing remez thing to what Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about later um and i don't know something with the terminators involved Uh, because it's time travel oh We're, we're back to the future on this, See? or time is wibbly wobbly, timey wimey, but nonetheless, uh, so if we sound, you know, like we haven't actually heard the sermon yet, it's because we haven't. Um, well, Logan has because he's preaching it, but <laughs> I, I haven't heard it yet. I've, <laughs> I've mentally thought about it. Um, I've projected it into oh. my brain. We're we're almost to that point, but uh, we're going to talk about some stuff that I know I'm not going to get to. Um, at least I think I'm not going to get to. Uh, so. We'll just dive right in here. Um, we're talking Ezra w- chapters 1 through 6 this week. It is a huge swath of uh, scriptures. So um, when you saw that on the Instagram post of things that you could read before the sermon, nope, that wasn't a typo. We actually expected people to like maybe want to go read six chapters of Ezra for funsies. You can do it, or I, you should have done it. <laughs> you could still go do it. If you haven't done it, you should go do it. Uh, we believe in you. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, uh, and as I'm digging more into this, like the more I'm learning about Ezra and Nehemiah, um, there's all of these. We're gonna call them hyperlinks because I like that that mm-hmm. terminology um, that drags you into reading all of these other prophets and also First and Second Kings. Um, so actually. Don't just read Ezra 1 through 6. Go read all of Jeremiah and all of Zechariah and all of First and Second Kings. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, no, I'm not. Go, go do that. But, you know, you don't have to do it right now. Anyway. Go explore your Bible. There's all of these references. It's like they're all interconnected. It's wild. 
absolutely wild. Um, now, one of these pops right from the beginning in Ezra uh, chapter 1, right off the top, because it opens up with, uh, we will talk about this in the sermon a little bit, uh, that uh, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. That was a hyperlink right there. That's saying, go go read some Jeremiah. But when I uh, read that, my hyperlink was broken because I kept tapping it and it didn't change. Didn't the flip page the page for me. I was so disappointed. It's the worst when your Bible doesn't auto turn the pages. It was, it was before Web 1.0, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but like I said, we will have talked about that in the sermon because that's that's kind of important. It it's really important. Um, but this this first opening paragraph or two paragraphs, depending on your translation, uh, Cyrus. You get this king whose heart is moved, and uh, he's going to he's, he's going to send people away. He's going to send them away. Uh, they are going to exit stage left, and uh, they're gonna they're gonna go back to the promised land, mm-hmm. right? So you get a king who is moved by the hand of God, whose heart is moved by God, to send the Israelites, the Hebrews to their promised land and he commands the and they're going to go with a bunch of gold and silver. So when I say this Jen, what what pops into mind? Exodus. So that it it's kind of similar, right? right. Like there if if this doesn't slap you in the face with a a giant Exodus fish, to use a little Monty Python there. Um <clears throat> Like, if you aren't just knocked upside the head by, like, oh, those sound incredibly similar, right? then maybe you should go read Exodus a lot more, because that should be what happens. Um, the, the authors of this are expecting you to kind of know your, your stories. Right. <clears throat> and if we don't know our stories like that, and we miss some of those, then we miss a lot of the depth of, um, of these of these stories here. And we're going to see that not only in this chapter one through six with Zerubbabel, but also with Ezra and also with Nehemiah, like this, this Exodus theme keeps reoccurring. Right. Uh, it keeps reoccurring. And there, there's a lot of Exodus references that occur throughout these stories. So keep those in mind and be looking for those. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, uh, there is, and I will have mentioned this in the sermon, but we won't dig into it. There is a chiasm here in chapters one through six. Uh, surprise, surprise. What? Chiasms in, in, in our stories? That's wild. That never happens. Um, so there's a chiasm within a larger chiasm. Yes. Because mm. you, as you told us last week, the whole Ezra Nehemiah story is a chiasm. Right. And this is just part of it, so it'd right. be chiasm. Conception. It, yep. Once it's again. A, it's a baby chiasm. <laughs> do, 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 do. Yeah. Did I do the right? No. no. Do 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 do. But but we had we had other options. That was that was <laughs> that was cute. I do what I want. That was something. <laughs> My goodness. 
Y'all are, the chiasm. Y'all are in for a treat this week. <laughs> Hello. Um, so chiasm, moving right along. Uh, we'll just kind of, this is in chapters one through six of Ezra, <clears throat> which is covering the rebuilding of the altar in the temple. Um, now I'm getting this from a Tim Mackey uh, seminar, I guess would be the way to describe it. And he's actually pulling this from some other biblical commentary, uh, which he doesn't cite well, so I can't tell you the name of it, but it's one of those that's like thick and heavy and $45 per uh, volume. volume, And I kind of really want it, but uh, also I don't know if I'd really use it all that much. We're six months away from Christmas. Right. Put it on your list. I, I could put it on there. Maybe, maybe me and Rob will split it. Less than Ooh. six months. Oh, yeah. Ooh, wow. We are less than... We are, we are going downhill to Christmas. Sledding on down. And Logan is already starting to decorate. Bum, 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 ba-da-dum. Anyway, uh, so chiasm. Speaking of chiasm. Wait, Tim, Tim Mackey is the guy who does the Bible Project Bible video. Project, okay. yes. So, so if, you've seen the, if you've seen the Bible Project video link that we have been pushing, uh, that's, that's his illustrious voice on that one, I think. And that's, uh, he does a really good job of breaking down Ezra and, and Nehemiah. So... In chapters one through six, uh, it's an A, B, C, D, and then the center of the chiasm, and then D, C, B, A. So it's that sort of form. Mm-hmm. Starts off with this Hebrew edict of Cyrus, uh, and then it ends with an Aramaic edict of Cyrus. Now, the front half of the chiasm is in Hebrew, and the back half of the chiasm is in Aramaic. Whoa. Which is the, I think this is the first time I've seen that. And it was kind of exciting. I was like, well, that's cool. So starting where's the Aramaic? The Aramaic would start after 4, 6 through 23. So it, the center of the chiasm is opposition to rebuilding in the time of Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes. Um <clears throat> Yeah. So the temple rebuilding stopped in 424 would fall under the Aramaic. Uh, temple rebuilding resumed. Uh, so you go Hebrew, there's an edict, uh, then a list of returnees from Nebuchadnezzar, then an altar and temple foundation built, and then temple rebuilding is threatened. Then we come to the center of it, which is opposition to rebuilding. And then on the flip side, we are back to temple rebuilding stopped. Mm-hmm. So you had the temple rebuilding threatened, temple rebuilding is stopped, uh, and then you had the altar and temple foundation was built before before that. Previously, that was the other C. And then temple rebuilding resumed is the flip side of that. Then to flip side, the list of returnees is a demand for the list of returnees from Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon exile in uh, chapter 5. And then the last is the Aramaic Edict of Cyrus, which bookends the whole thing together with these edicts. Right. Um which I thought was just absolutely fascinating. And then they finish up the whole thing with the temple rebuilding is finished in celebration of Passover. <coughs> but it, uh, this, the, at the center of this, which as we know, the, the sort of chiasm, they like to hide the kind of big, big points in the center of these things, this opposition to rebuilding in the time of Artaxerxes. 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 I, can we get these guys some better names? We're going to call them Artie, except for we can't do that because there's a bunch that have very similar names. Um, well, he's they're the just same all over the place. 
Sorry, go He's ahead. He's the same guy that's the king in Esther, so you could just call him Xerxes. It's true. So, I mean. That's true. He is the same one. Uh, and this uh, this chiasm that center bit, uh, 4, 6 through 23, mm-hmm. this is the part where we mentioned chronological difficulties. Um, this is a... This is something, if you're reading through chapters 1 through 6, and you get to this bit, um, depending on what Bible you're reading it in, you might have a footnote, or uh, in my ESV study Bible, <coughs> it gives me this little commentary on 6 through 23 of chapter 4. It says that this section interrupts the historical narrative and mentions two later examples of hostility from the people of the land uh, in 4.6 and 4.7 through 23. Uh, for a century or more after Cyrus's decree. So you get this initial Cyrus decree mm-hmm. and there's this opposition for a century or more uh, that occurs from these adversaries of Judah. <clears throat> the narrative resumes at verse 24. This technique employed was a familiar practice in ancient history writing. Its purpose here is to show that the problems faced by the new community were not isolated, but were deeply rooted in its situation. So this is once again a conversation of if we, if I was writing a, if I was writing Ezra and Nehemiah, mm-hmm. I probably would have written it chronologically because our Western minds, if I'm writing a history book, I'm going to want it chronologically, right. right? Through a certain progression. Except for we do this in our movies all the time. Okay. Very good point. We, we, mm, we will flashbacks. jump forward or jump back in time to kind of highlight <coughs> the, the particular struggle. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we'll do it just because we, we got lazy and or we fired, you know, the, all the writers went on strike. And so we'll just take a <laughs> bunch of clips <laughs> from previous episodes and... <coughs> And you know you gotta be bored to be watching that particular episode because sure. you know you know the whole time the storyline. Right. Why am I watching this? Because uh, I'm a lazy bum. But there you go. <laughs> so it's not it's not unheard of in, in even in our culture. Yes. Yeah. It's not. But we use it in that. We use it kind of in that fictitious realm Cinematic. more often. Yeah. Um, than we would in the. In the telling. And also, I think we're probably more familiar with a flashback. So something happens, and we do a flashback to give commentary. Right. This is a flash forward, kind of. That, which is which is really kind of interesting. Um, I don't know if I've even seen... I don't know if I've ever seen that before. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I, don't, I don't have an example from a movie or something, which for me is surprising. Uh, maybe a flash forward to show like what could have happened. Mm-hmm. This would be like uh, you get some sort of prophecy and you got to change the future, right? Right. Um, but this is just telling us, and this is what happened, right? Um, yeah. I can think of like I think in Once Upon a Time they did that, but I think it's also like in books or movies it's clearly like. It's not clear in this story of Ezra that it's flashing forward. Like, yeah. But like, usually, if you're reading a book and it flashes forward or flashes back, it's like this date, and like you have a clear marker that it's. Well, yeah. the marker here is the king, right? Uh, yes. So, 
uh, verse 6, which is in the timeline, mm-hmm. and the reign of, uh, ooh, I'm going to murder this, Asurus, Ahasuerus. <laughs> that sounds like a dinosaur. King in a. the beginning of his reign, they wrote, you can't just say King A, because the next one's another King A. Uh, King A the second. <laughs> they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem, right? So this is in the timeline. And then the next one, in the days of Artaxerxes, Bishlam, Mithridath, and Tabil, and the rest of their associates wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Right, so it it makes this in the days, which signifies kind of a jump Mm -hmm. or a time change. And if you... That's where it's it's kind of helpful to graph out where these, uh, where these different reigns occur, um, and then when it jumps back, it jumps back. Let me flip to verse twenty-four. Uh, <clears throat> it's which is the last verse of that chapter. Uh, then the work of the house of God that is in Jerusalem stopped, and it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So it jumps back at that point and rejoins our narrative. But yeah, using the king's names. So if you were very familiar with when these kings were reigning, then then it would probably be more clear. Well, if you, yeah, and so Zerubbabel was of the time of Darius, or or at least this first story. Yeah. Artaxerxes is more of the time of Ezra and Nehemiah, which is 20 years later. And so... Right. Um, so, yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, it covers... I think it covers... Like the, it's, a, it's like a parenthetical statement. Mm-hmm. It covers like 100 years or so. Yeah. Um, and the temple, like the pause from when they stopped building the temple to when they restart is like 10 to 15 years. Oh, wow. That they're stuck in in limbo. Well, and when did these people become... The enemy is is it? You know, because the, the where the conversation starts or where the problem starts matters. Yeah. Um. You know, with with my kids, you know, they'll come and tell me, you know, when they were young, or and it still happens today. But they'll come and tell me, so and so said this to me. They don't tell me what they said. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. It started the. Yeah, you know, they said this awful thing. I'm like, man, that's awful. And you go sit, go talk to the other one. I'm like, well, you do know they said this, right? I'm like, no, I didn't. Like, that would be helpful information. Yeah. That kind of uh, puts everything in light. Full context. Yes. <laughs> context matters. If, by the way, uh, if you are interested in looking up more on biblical Aramaic, uh, Wikipedia actually has a really interesting uh article on this, uh, there's a number of times that, that this has occurred, that some are undisputed, some are disputed, but uh, Jeremiah 10, 11, there's a single sentence denouncing idolatry. In the middle of Hebrew text, they use Aramaic text, and the Aramaic uh, characters are sometimes the same, sometimes they're not. And there's a chart here that kind of gives an indication of which is which. 
Uh, Daniel uses this in Daniel 2, 4b through 7.28, and then Ezra from 4.8 to 6.18, and 7.12 through 26. There you go. And Aramaic is a language that they, um, sounds like it, uh, biblical Aramaic is a form of Aramaic that is used in the Hebrew Bible, um, and sounds like there's something, like it morphed, it's a language that their language morphed when they were in Babylon. Interesting. Interesting. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. There you go. The more you know. This is this is oh man. Like how often does all right. Ezra and Nehemiah. If you've been in the churchy world, mm-hmm. right, for for some time, uh, then you might be familiar with these. I don't know. I've heard I think I've only heard people use Ezra and Nehemiah preaching one time uh, previously uh, in, in my memory. And that was uh, back at Real Life, and I think it was when we were going through the story. Mm. Yep. And so we were just going through the whole Bible okay. using the, 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 the version of the Bible called the story, which puts it in kind of narrative form and, and does an overarching, broad, big-picture thing, right? Yep. Um. <clears throat> it's not really even a version. I mean, they take, yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's a they take they take the I believe it's the NIV, yeah, and they so that's a version of the Bible, and then they just put the stories in chronological order. So it almost reads like a yep, it reads is like NIV. A, it reads like a book. It is condensed into 31 accessible chapters. The story sweeps you into the unfolding progression of the Bible characters and events from Genesis to Revelation. Using the clear, accessible text of the NIV Bible, it allows the stories, poems, and teachings of the Bible to be read like a novel. And like any good story, the story is filled with intrigue, drama, conflict, romance, and redemption. And this story's true. I read that off the back of the book. Oh, you should have owned that. Yeah. Just there you go. They should. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, if they wanted a, a spokesperson or somebody to narrate the audiobook version, I'm here. I'm here. Uh, have your people call my people. Have your people call my people. <laughs> and then let me know who my people are. Because <laughs> do I have people? Anyway, Sean uh, <laughs> Day is my people. <laughs> We're right here. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so yeah, uh, I remember one one sermon on this, uh, but most of the time when, like if you go look up sermon series on, on Nehemiah or Ezra, mm-hmm. um, they're going to be in the churchy world, they're going to they're gonna be usually talking about leadership or uh, they're going to be kind of like, yeah, ooh, rah, rah, go get them a building project. That would be another common one. Mm-hmm. Um, would be let's do a sermon series on Nehemiah because we're going to build walls or rebuild the temple, and so we want to <clears throat> talk about that. And there is leadership, like obviously we've got Zerubbabel and we got Ezra and we got Nehemiah, who are all leaders in this uh, in this saga of moving back into the promised land. But it's not really like. 
the the story doesn't necessarily end very well for any of them mm-hmm. as we're going to continue to see. Yeah, I think one I I haven't heard a lot of sermons where people identified the problems. Mm-hmm. Does this sound redemptive? Does this sound like a community that you want to be a part of when they address the problems? Right. Yeah. And so this is this is a pre-Christ community trying to live out their relationship with God. And we should recognize that what they live out shows, highlights that they, they need a Savior. Yeah. That, that the Christ needs to come, and, and the prophets that are providing commentary on what's going on, they, they're, they're saying, uh, you're missing it, boys mm-hmm. and girls. Yeah. You're missing it. Mm-hmm. You're missing the heart of God. In fact, we don't have the prophets if we don't have the story of the return from Babylon. Yeah. Right. Well, and or and, many, at least many of the prophets. Yes. Uh, we would, I think you would have Jeremiah, but Jeremiah is talking forward into like this is going to happen. Right. Um, and at the center of Jeremiah, I'm going to talk about this in the sermon some, but we can rehash it here too, is that at the at the center of Jeremiah, uh, that whole book is, uh, I forget what they call it, but it's like chapters 30 through 33, mm-hmm. I think. And it's talking about the promised return and God's going to bring him back into the land and he's going to reestablish like new covenants and it's bring him back in and new Davidic covenant and all of this stuff, right? And it's this promise of hope and promise of like, and this is this is this this hope that they're coming back into because it starts with you know that the words of Jeremiah, the word of the Lord through Jeremiah's mouth would be fulfilled. Right. That's why the king's heart was moved. Um, it's this hope that this is what's this is what's going to happen, and ultimately, like they're hoping for Messiah, right, mm-hmm. is going to come about through this. Um, and so, but what really needs to occur, and what you're kind of alluding to there with the, this need for Christ. It like, this is a, the heart has to be like, the heart has to change. Yeah. There's a, there's a change of heart that we, you can put all of the, the pieces into place, mm-hmm. but if that doesn't change, you're not any better off, right. I think is, is one of the things that maybe we'll see. Um, and we can't look at this from a leadership standpoint because do churches today still get it? Right. Oh, absolutely. Like this is this is so very very applicable. Um, like, like we want to get it right, um, and hopefully some days we get it more right than what we see in this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's still a challenge. We still need a savior. <coughs> right. uh, I I need a savior. Probably I'm more aware of my need for Christ today than than. You know, when I was a six-year-old kid, for one, but <laughs> <laughs> but even as a twenty-year-old, you know, when I when I knew that my life was a mess and and I, I just wasn't doing it right, and and I knew what God's word said, and I knew I knew how my you know I could lay out how my life, what my decisions were bearing out, sure, and what Christ was calling me to. And I'm going, oh man, there's a giant chasm here. Mm-hmm. I still this week. I still need a savior. Right. 
And so we can look at these stories. We do need to talk honestly. Like we shouldn't read these stories as if these people got it all right. And sure. there's and there's nothing to change there. And so let's just <laughs> act like like these guys. No, these guys needed a savior. Yeah. They needed Christ to come. We, we there's ginormous mistakes made here and let's let's read it that way. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, and to be fair, I think it's easy to miss like for example in the, in 1 through 6 here with Zerubbabel, uh I I don't know if I would have caught um I don't know if I would have caught that there was a mistake made. Like, it's it lists them. Um, you know, when the when the opposition occurs at the top of chapter four, adversaries. Now, when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were b- building a temple to the Lord, like they're the enemies. Oh, yeah, the bad guys. They're the bad guys. Okay. Right. Yeah. I, without digging in and understanding why one why they're the bad guys. To uh, understanding the tension that Zerubbabel probably is feeling of okay, they 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 say that they worship our God, that they worship Yahweh, um, but they also worship these other gods, <clears throat> and so there's this tension that arises there. But just re- straight reading it without going into any of the other, without getting the the Zechariah passage, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have had any idea. Be like, oh yeah, no, he right. made the right call. Right, and when right. the rebuilding starts, right, mm-hmm. it, we're told it's because of the word of the Lord came through these two prophets, and so now you have to look at these two prophets and go, well, what are they saying? Because for some reason, the building project of the temple, which seems to be fairly important, right? Yeah, wouldn't the temple be a fairly important building project within the lives of of a people that worship? This is the first thing they do. This is the first thing they do is they come back and they reestablish their worship their worship rhythms. Right. You got to and part of that is you have your place of worship. And the 20-year timeout was that out of, outside of God's control? Absolutely not. No. So and the and the prophets speak and so now you have to go evaluate. Well, what do these prophets say and what's what's the message? And part of the message is all the nations. Yep. All the nations are going to be involved mm-hmm. in the worship. That the temples invite all the peoples in, mm-hmm. yeah. Which is back to the original call on on Abraham mm-hmm. to be a blessing of all nations. To be a blessing of all nations, and that and that's not the <laughs> well. I'm godly, therefore I'm a blessing to you. <laughs> kind of. That's not how that works. <laughs> Let me bless you. Let me bless you with my presence. Oh, okay. No, I bless no, you I, with my correct theology. Let her no, I, <laughs> let my correct let my correct religiosity uh, my bless correctness, you. Let yeah. my correctness bless you. Is that how that works? I think that's how that works. Yeah. yeah. So I, I like I to be fair, like it's easy for this to become that, um, and that's kind of a, a maybe we've talked about this before. The part as you know, Peshat surface level, and then you know as you go deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, but the the surface level truth of this is, yeah, there's there's leadership stuff here, um, and then as you go deeper, you learn, oh, there's a little more depth to the leadership lessons that mm. we can learn, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and more and more depth to that that you can mine out of it. Uh, now, Jen, you had 
a just delightful little nugget of information I did. about about Z da- uh, Zbabs old <laughs> Zerubbabel and uh, and uh, Jay Sizzle. Um, told you I wouldn't say it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm meaning Jesus. Uh, don't <laughs> don't take that wrong. Old old Zerubbabel and Jesus. There's a connection between these two. Yes. Um, so I've decided to read through the four gospels in a month. You read three chapters a day. You read through all four gospels in one month. So I'm already a day behind, you know. Good job. All right. Yeah. And I was reading. Good transparency. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to catch up tonight and then I won't be behind. But. just took a Sabbath. (laughs) I started off with a Sabbath. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's biblical. (laughs) Got to begin with rest. Mm Mm-hmm. There you go. But in Matthew 1, it's listing off the genealogies of Jesus, and it says, after the exile to Babylon, oh, I went to a different version, let me, oh, after the Babylon exile, Jehoiachin was the father of Shilatai, I'm going to just say that's how you pronounce it, Sure. and then he was the father of Zerubbabel, Absolutely. I, and I was like, oh, I wonder if that's the same person. And we looked it up, and yes, it is. Because so you're reading in Matthew. I'm reading in Matthew. Yeah. yeah. So that's cool. He is in the genealogy of Jesus. So one, good job actually reading the genealogy and not glossing, like glazing over. I know. First time for everything. Bravo. <laughs> uh, Bravo. Let that, let that be a lesson. There is really good stuff in the genealogies. Yeah. Um. Fair warning, if you've read chapter two of this, of Ezra, dear Lord, that's not even a genealogy. That's just a straight up, like, census. <laughs> um, so do with that what you will. You sound so incensed when you say that. I, ooh, I gloss over hardcore on that one. But uh, no, so this this connection there, like, it, yeah, I think that's tasty. And I mean, I haven't studied it out any more than that because I read it <coughs> at... 9.30, and we re- recorded this at 10.30, so... Two hours ago. Yeah. Right. This is fresh, hot off the presses. Mm-hmm. There you go. I mean, it's been there for 2,000 years, but I've just now noticed it for the first All time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair point. It has been there a minute, but nonetheless... <laughs> nonetheless... <laughs> we'll call it hot off the presses. Yeah. Hot off the papyrus? I, I, I don't think... Know. Uh, yeah, I think there's there's so much uh, there's so much to glean from God's mm. word. Mm-hmm. Like if if you are getting bored reading God's word, I don't understand. There's so much there. There's um, and God is so big; He's infinite. We're finite. If you're not still learning about your God. Mm-hmm. I wonder about that too. Yeah. I yeah. I honestly did not know who Zerubbabel was before diving in and, and doing the research on this series. Right. And connecting him to Jesus, uh, I'm sure that Zerubbabel, in the minds of the Jewish people, that's a bigger deal than than we understand. Right. Being in that lineage, yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's a there's a fun little. I think we're going to see more and more of these connections because we are 
because part of the the reason for Ezra and Nehemiah, part of the is this hope and promise of of back into the land mm-hmm. and reestablishing the covenant, a new covenant, mm-hmm. you could say, wink, wink, uh, and hoping for Messiah, right? right. That's going to come help establish this. I think we're going to see more and more connections forward to Jesus in this. Right. Um, just uh, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I I suspect I would not be surprised if we see more and more of this. For example, like Jesus establishes a new covenant, and they're expecting with this that God would establish a new covenant with their people in the land. Um, and we, you know, this this hope and promise of Jeremiah with the heart change that that God's word it actually comes God's word would be written on your heart. Right. Um well, gosh, that sounds a that sounds a wee bit like the Holy Spirit. Right. Oh man. That's wild. Um there's all all sorts of really good connections here that I you know, I've I've never I've never really given much thought to, mm-hmm. which is just kind of fascinating, but well, and his name means sown in uh, in Babel. Yeah, Zerubbabel. And there's from that, yeah. for him to be a significant figure. You know, remembering your past, I think, is is really important. Learning from your past is mm-hmm. is is super critical. Like, if we don't understand our history, we're doomed to repeat it. Right. And uh, you know, and I'm into that. And it's something that I do absolutely uh, love and respect about um, the Jewish people is they they really learn and own. From my perspective, they really learn and own their 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 history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they they the the Exodus of the of the Bible is their Exodus, and. And all these different events, all these major events, they they learn from their mistakes, and and I think that's one of something that's very redemptive about them mm-hmm. as a people. And uh, I'm just uh, there's there's more I could say on that, but it, it's just something that I think that that as a Christian nation or a Christian people, uh, we need to recognize the mistakes of the church. Mm-hmm. And learn from them, and, and 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 get better. We can't just gloss over. Take ownership of them, right? Yeah. To a certain degree, is what that needs. So, yeah, that's good stuff. Well, let's wrap up with a little bit of discussion. I, you know, I'm, I get a sneaking suspicion that we'll probably have this discussion, and we'll dig into this more and more as we go through the series. But uh, we're seeing some already in the first six chapters here. We're seeing some alignment tensions. Um, and I know, Rob, you said uh, uh, you had a little bit of discussion about that in your care group this week. And I know I had some in my discussion with my care group this week, um, or I guess it would be last week when people are hearing this. But uh, this this idea of, you know, it's it's this tension of are you relationally aligned? Right. Um, are you theologically aligned? When these what makes those enemies the enemies? Um, well, it's determining their alignment uh, that we see that as a leader, Zerubbabel and uh, is it Yeshua? I think it's Yeshua was the priest that was with him um, at the top of my head. 
that they're probably wrestling with of, okay, these people, they want to help. Can we do that? Right. Can, we that allow the, can we allow them to help? Can we allow them to help? Uh, is that going to... Um, is that going to put a black eye? Is that going to tell the wrong story of God? And they're very, very, very careful about using, you know, they order the, the I think they order the stuff, they use the parts for the temple from the same place that David and, and Solomon got theirs, right? Um, they're being very, very reverent with their temple mm-hmm. and building it. Um, and so it's understandable where this tension arises. Yeah, you know, so the, I guess to put this in modern context, if someone wants to hand out communion, or or if you're looking to have someone help hand out communion, what what kind of criteria do they do they need to meet? Do they, do they have to have a pulse? Mm. Yeah. Or do they have to have a theological degree? Sure. Yeah, you know, and 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 that that's the two. Ends of the spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and then everything in, in between. So I've seen, I've seen uh, a buddy of mine uh, hand out communion, and theologically didn't have any answers correct at that point. But now he's a pastor. Uh, I've seen another buddy that uh, didn't know Christ, but played Christ didn't have a personal relationship with Christ, knew about Christ, played Christ in a play, and and through that connection came to Christ and and now is a is a pillar within the church. Sure. You know, I see a there's there's a a good example of this. And we don't we don't do this here and it, it's less common up in the up in the northwest. Um but there are many places where churches will hire musicians mm-hmm. right um oh yeah down in texas oh yeah much more common nashville down in nashville um you know or or places like you know more prevalent in the south uh but you can get people that hire musicians mm-hmm. and so here's a you know this is a a, com- a common wrestling match um amongst pastors and worship leaders and stuff like that is, okay, if I'm hiring a musician, do they have to be theologically aligned in order to play in our church and lead from, because if you're, if you're playing music up on stage, you're viewed kind of as a leader. Right. Um, so do they, do they need to be theologically aligned with us? Do they need to be saved? Do we hire the, the atheist gigging guitar guy? Um, you know, or drummer, or what, what have whatever have you, right? right? What do you? How do you? They want to come help. Granted, they want to come help because you can pay them. But or or even if they don't, like okay, you got a friend who plays bass. You're like, I'm looking for a bass player. I'll come play for you. They don't know Jesus. Do I put them on stage? Right. Yeah, and these are these are important questions to answer in and. In our one-on-one process, we even talk about the the, the theological elements that we're going, that we're willing to die for, yeah, and the theological elements that we are willing to lovingly disagree. So, eschatology, for instance, 
what's your eschatological stance? Are you pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, amillennial? Pan-millennial. Pan-millennial. Um, where do you stand on on the return of Christ? Right. You know, is that something that we're going to, you know, plant our flag on or are not? We- and for us, we're not. And being a being a church that uh, that's non-denominational, we have a tendency to have people come to us with a lot of different perspectives. Yep. The things that we are willing to die for and the things that we're going to say, hey, this is super important. If you can't land here, then, then we're not going to allow you to, to teach. And, uh, and that'd be things like the deity of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yep. These are, I think we, we call them salvation issues. Yeah. And so, you know, the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. you know, being part of the Godhead. Like, these are things that, like, we have to agree on these things. We have to be aligned on these. We have to be aligned. If you're going right. to play, yeah, if you're going to be... For us to hand role. out meals downtown to the homeless, I don't I don't have to be theologically aligned with you at all in order to be kind to strangers. Like, I just don't. Right. Yep. And maybe by being kind with you, it leads to conversations where we become more aligned, yeah. where you gain new understandings. And so we have a lot of what we call first serve opportunities. Most of our, uh, most of the things that we do from a serving standpoint within the church or or what we call ministry. Uh, doesn't require you to be theologically aligned because we want to create space where you could come in and where we're, where we build that relationship. Now, yeah. if you're leading people and you're leading teams and you're teaching, then that alignment becomes much more important, much right. more critical. Yes. Yep. yep. Cool. Cool. Well, that's uh, like I said, we'll probably end up talking about. I have a sneaking suspicion we will end up talking about this a couple of times over right. the next couple of weeks, because this is going to be a reoccurring theme uh, throughout these stories and throughout this entire uh, saga of Ezra and Nehemiah. Yeah. So, good stuff there. Hopefully, uh, <clears throat> gave you some more things to think about, a little bit more to dig into and chew on, mull over. Um, push you down some rabbit holes that maybe will give you some, I don't know, gain some knowledge and wisdom. I think Timothy says something about, you know, all scripture is supposed to lead us to wisdom. So hopefully that's what digging into this for you does. Um, and we will catch you on the flip side. Bye. You've been listening to Footnotes on the Mission Ridge podcast. For more information about Mission Ridge, please visit our website at missionridge.church. Thanks for tuning in. We hope the rest of your week is straight up hashtag blessed and that you'll join us again next week for more footnotes. Welcome to my vlog. Nailed it. <laughs> Good job.